This is chapter 1, and we're going to take here and look at a couple of verses here in chapter 1, and we'll also go over to chapter number 2, Genesis chapter number 1, and let me read two verses here in this chapter, verses 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now jump over, if you will, to chapter 2. Let me read just a couple of different portions there in that chapter. Verses 7 through 8. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And now let me wrap it out here with verses 18 through 24. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And for, but for Adam... There was not found a help meet for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore... Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let's pray together right now. Father, I just ask for your richest blessings. Help us, Lord, in this time. Help me to speak what you have shared with me, and help me put, put together. Lord, may this be your message, not mine. Pray that there would be a reception from the people of God, whether it be those that are hearing my voice right now or those that may be listening to a recording at a later time or even those that are watching or listening but via live stream. I pray, Lord, that there would be a listening to the sweet Holy Spirit of God as He talks to us. Oh, this message, these messages on this topic really cut against the grain of our society. Help us to think biblically, not worldly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message that I'm going to begin tonight is actually going to be in at least two parts. And I think it's very important for us tonight where I'm going to start is with a proper framework of what gender is and what God has specifically made, and the roles that He has given to each. Then, when I lay the groundwork tonight, the next time that we meet and go through this particular subject, we're going to discuss 
the confusion that has come about in recent years and talk about that. I want to share with you, first of all, as we jump into this particular subject tonight, there are two theological views when it comes to defining and explaining gender in the Bible. Let me give you the first term. It is the term egalitarian, egalitarian. Now, what is this view? This is the view that men and women are created equal, not only in their value before God, but also in their roles. In other words, the egalitarian viewpoint sees that there should be no difference in any aspect of life between man and women. And egalitarians, for their theological viewpoint, will often point to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, for support of their view, which says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. Now, I'm not going to take time to explain that verse and what it says, but it's not supporting the viewpoint of the egalitarian, if we can say that. This belief system, the egalitarian viewpoint, states that any hierarchical roles are sinful. That is, if one is given a leadership role, that is something that is sinful, since all of these particular roles, they believe, came about since the fall, and now that we're in Christ, all differences are erased. So that's the egalitarian. But now let me give to you the complementarian, the complementarian. Now you can imagine here, taking a part of this verse, complement or complete, this is the view that men and women complement each other in their different roles. In other words, this belief system here, there's an understanding that men and women are created equally in the image of God. Now, that's the same as the egalitarian. Both viewpoints see that God has created them equally in His image, but the complementarian sees that God has given different roles beginning at creation. Those different but complementary roles are seen in marriage, family, organization, as well as in leadership. You see, tonight I want you to understand from the Word of God, not because I'm sharing this, but God created men to be leaders protectors, and providers. And God created women to be nurturers who care for their children if they have any. Now, what's that? whatever side of the debate that you'll lean on, whether it's the egalitarian or the complementarian, will depend on how you interpret the first few chapters of Genesis. Isn't it amazing why that we have titled this particular series, In the Beginning?, because we go back to the beginning to figure out where we are, and it's sad that some have interpreted this a little differently. So let's look at our text here tonight and explore what the Bible says about God's creation of men and women. First point I want to give to you, major point, is this. Men and women are created equal in God's image. Men and women are created equal in God's image. Now, it's pretty interesting how the creation account stands in our world. 
It's amazing when you look at the Bible and how Moses wrote this, that what you see in Scripture is not tainted by what the world's philosophy is. It's not tainted by world religions. In other words, even in Moses' day, equality of the genders here was unheard of. We see in this account, reading through these verses that we went through, that man prized woman and loved her and that she was not to be viewed as mere property. Now, let me give you some observations of this, of this aspect that God created men and women, both of them, in His image. First of all, both men and women are created in the image of God. Notice that. Mankind was created differently than the animals in that both men and women bear the image of God. But it seems clear to me in looking at these scriptures that it is both men and women are created in the image of God. Number two observation is this, both men and women are given the creation mandate. Now, last week I went over the creation mandate. We went through Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 31, and we talked about what responsibilities mankind has been given with regards to this world. But I want you to see something in verse number 28 and see if you catch this with me. Look at chapter 1, verse number 28. After God had created male and female, verse 28, God blessed, could you give me the next word? Is that singular or plural? Would that be both male and female? Sure it would. God blessed them and God said unto who? Them. Then you have the creation mandate. So who's the creation mandate given to? What is the creation mandate? Well, again, you have to look at the, listen to the sermon last week, but it is the idea of being fruitful and multiplying, subduing the earth, and managing this earth, if you will. It is given to both man and woman. Third observation here I want you to notice. Both man and women, woman are created as one unit. I want you to look at verse number 26 with me, and I want you to note something here. God said, let us make man in our image. Now, the Hebrew word that is given here for man is actually the word that we get Adam from. It is A-D-A-M here spelled out in the English, and it is the word Adam. Very interesting that the first man created named Adam. And this idea of making man in our image, it is given here, this word man, in the sense of representing mankind, not just the male gender. So when God created and said, let us make man in our image, he was looking at both male and female as one. He considered them as one. To me, it's quite noteworthy to see that God did not say here, let us make humanity in our image. Neither did he say, let us make women in our image. He said, let us make man, mankind, generally speaking right across the page here. But he actually used the word man. 
Raymond Ortland Jr. in his book titled Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood states this, that God's naming of the race man whispers male headship which Moses will bring forward boldly in chapter number two. So it's very important to understand this. So the first thing I want you to see here is this aspect here that men and women are created equal in God's image. Now, point number two, men and women are created equal but different. Now all the married spouses are going to say, Okay, I got a couple of weak amens. But it's amazing to me when I ended up end up marrying, you know, different couples together and perform the ceremonies and, and all of a sudden they come back to me maybe six months later and say, I didn't realize how different she was. I didn't realize he was like this. Well, men and women are different. That's right. Amen. All right, now, so as we come to chapter 2, we do grasp the significance of the difference that is given here. In fact, it's very interesting that every time in the New Testament that there are questions about anything that has to do with mankind, do you know where Jesus and the apostles go back to? Genesis chapter number 2. Those last verses we read of verses 18 to 24, it's interesting here of where we're brought to. But before we go any further in talking about this equal but different, I need to just set the table with you about chapters 1 and 2. Now, I'm going to do this a couple of different times, but sometimes people read chapters 1 and 2, and they almost look like it's two different accounts. You read chapter 1, and you see how God created on these particular days, and then all of a sudden there's some things that seem to happen, and are they different? Do they complement each other? Well, let me just give you this food for thought. While Genesis 1 focuses on all six days and everything created, Genesis 2 zeroes in on the creation of mankind. So what Genesis 2 does is it takes that sixth day of mankind and it explodes it out for us so we can see to a greater extent what God did on that particular day. And also we find that everything that God created, it was made mention that when he created it, he said it was good. While in chapter 2, you know it's interesting? He made man, and here's what he said. It's not good that man should be alone. And every man said, amen. That's right. Now note the following truths, if you will, from chapter number 2. The equal but different. God created Adam first. Now, before Eve ever came along, notice it was first of all Adam. Verse number 15 of chapter 2, Adam was placed in the garden to dress it and keep it. Adam was told in verse number 19 to name the animals. In verses 16 to 17, it was Adam that was given the instructions concerning the tree of knowledge of good and evil and we, in reading this, have a great understanding that it was Adam that was to instruct his wife on that particular tree. So God created Adam first. And in setting out a priority in creation, God's intent is to show that man is to be the leader. 
Now, we're going to look in a few moments at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, but Scripture bears this out here about Adam being created first. Listen to this. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, why? Why does Paul come out with this apostolic authority and say that a woman is not to teach and usurp authority over a man within the context of the church? Well, here's the reason. One biblical reason. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. So God sees something very important in putting here this priority of him creating Adam first. Second truth I want you to understand about men and women are created equal but different is God created Adam and Eve equal in nature. Look back at chapter 2, verses 21 to 33. Notice here, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, took one of his, his ribs, closed up the flesh, and the rib which the Lord had God had taken from man made he a woman, and then when that woman was made, she was brought unto Adam. Now, man, you're nothing but dirt. I'm sorry. You were made from the dirt, but God made Eve right from that rib. I want you to think about this for just a moment here. When you think about God creating Adam and Eve equal in nature, Eve being created here from that rib of Adam, Eve was not to be considered inferior to Adam, just like the animals that Adam had been naming. I mean, Adam's naming all these animals, but God does something different with Eve. He takes Eve right from him, that rib, and creates that woman. This clearly, to me, these verses clearly demonstrates their equality in nature. I want you to think about this. Where was Eve taken from as far as the creation? Was taken right from his side. I love the way one preacher many, many years ago said this. Eve was not taken from Adam's foot so he could stomp all over her. Neither was Eve taken from his head so she could rule over him, but she was created in such a way to be beside him and compliment him. Note Adam's response in verse 23. I love this. Adam said, chapter 2, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he looked at her and he said, whoa, man. That's in the Hebrew somewhere. I mean, I've studied that. Honestly, so beautiful, such a lovely creature that he called her woman. But I love this phrase here, how he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh you got to catch the significance of this, of Eve's formation and Adam's realization. When Adam looked at her, every time Adam would look at her, he would think how she came from his body, and therefore he was there to protect her and to honor her. And every time Eve looked at Adam, she was to trust him and respect him for she came directly from him. What a beautiful thing God is doing here. The whole picture that is given in Genesis chapter 2 
screams against the male abuse today and the distrust of females. You see it today in our society, don't you? You see men that are on one side, they're just like beating their chest like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the Hulk in my home. And my wife, she, she's to do what I tell her. And then on the other side, you have the females that have such a distrust for male leadership. The Bible gives nothing of that. The Bible shows in the very creation of Adam being taken from his side that he is to honor her and love her and protect her. And she is to realize, I need to trust him and I need to respect him. Everything of Genesis chapter 2 to me speaks of love and harmony and completion. Nothing like what the world says. But now number three, another truth. God created woman out of man. I've talked about that. Without being redundant, it's important that while God created man from the dirt, the dust, he created Eve out of, get those words, out of his side. Where was the woman's source of origin? It was the man. And we'll see a bit later how this plays out. There is an equality of nature, but there are differences in the roles. Number four, God created woman for man. Now, third point, God created woman out of man, but this one, God created woman for man. Now, let me just say, if you're listening tonight and you're offended up to this point, then I'm going to tell you this point is going to rattle your cage. But please note verse number 18. Look at this. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. But look at the last phrase. I will make him a help meet for him. Please understand something. Eve was not another Adam. Eve wasn't like one of the animals. She was very similar to Adam, but different. And the difference in scene is seen in this little phrase here, help meet. She was to be a help meet for Adam. Now Eve was made like she was. Different biology, different physiology, different in all the ways, but made to complement Adam. Woman being made to complement man. The word help means one who will assist or support. The word meet in the language here comes from a word which means in front of. So in essence here, when it was said here that Eve was made as a a help meet for him, she was the aid or the helper. She was the one corresponding to him. The idea of these words being put together, help and meet, refers to the fact that when God made Eve directly from Adam, she was to be her, his counterpart. She was to compliment him. Again, it screams for the fact that both man and women are created in the image of God. It should help us see that women are not to be treated as mere property, servants, but they're needful. I love where God says there, God's admission, if you will, it's not good, Adam, that you're alone and that you have no helper. So he needed someone to help fill that role who will bring skills and gifts and abilities that Adam did not have. 
Men, if you can realize what your wife contributes as a help meet, that she's not somebody underneath you, but you can rely upon her for some of the wisdom that God may have given her, some of the skills that God has placed with her. And truthfully, I know most of you men, you need a lot of help, truthfully. And I'm there myself. I'm glad God has given me Darla because she's able to compliment me and help me. I can't do what I do by myself. But boy, what a wonderful thing it is. And I'm not talking about her helping me in the sense of, well, her cooking and ironing and all. No, no. We talk about a lot of stuff. And I try to bounce things off of her and try to get her input. And I, I appreciate and I probably don't appreciate enough the input. But that's the beauty of the relationship that is given here. So where are we so far in this message? Men and women are created equal in the image of God. They are different But women were created out of man. That's her origin. But she was created for man. That's the goal. But now I want you to see where all of our problems have come in. Genesis 3. Now we're going to get into Genesis 3 later, and I'm not going to park here for long. But truthfully, this is where things get hairy. We have no doubt in our minds that the fall messed up a lot of things as far as this world. But I'm telling you what, the reason there are those at least those two theological positions that I shared is because of how people view Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. You see, the complementarians, which is where I am, will hold that God created men and women equal in the image of God, but with different roles, and God created that and established that in Genesis 2. You know what the egalitarians will say? All right, God created men and women equal in the image of God. But when the fall came about, it messed everything up. And the reason women are have to be submissive to their husbands and the way, reason the husbands are to rule over their wife is because of sin in the garden. And my friend, I want to tell you something. God established in Genesis 2, long before the fall of man, the roles that each should have. Again, I don't want to take time. We're, we're going to jump into Genesis 3, but I want to move along. Actually, I'm sorry, I didn't give you this next point. Point number three, men and women are created equal, uh, or men and women are created equal, but different in the fall corrupted that design. Now, let me give you the last point. Men and women are created equal, but different as the New Testament bears out. How does the New Testament bear out these roles? And again, you got to grab these things before we begin talking about all the confusion that's out there. We've got to get established on good ground as to what God has said about men and women. Men and women are created equal but different as the New Testament bears out. So first of all, let's grab this. Men and women are equal but different, and that's seen in marriage. Marriage. The sad part about marriage is that while there seems to be a lot of competition amongst husbands and wives, there is very little completion. God intended that if you're married here today, that you and your spouse complete one another, not compete against each other. You know what the world's doing? Constantly keeping the sexes against each other, if you will. 
tearing everything apart. And I must say that if you're going to desire a happy and fruitful marriage, which you should, you must quit taking your cues from the world and must follow God's design. Now, where does this bear out? I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you will, please. 1 Peter chapter number 3, in verses 1 through 7. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation, that is the lifestyle of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, there's a lot to unpack in these passages, and I, 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 I can't do it all, but I want to just take two major things. One for the wife in the home, one for the husband. Wives, how does he start off? Wives are to submit to their husbands. Notice the words in subjection to gives us the idea that they are to place themselves submissively under another. Now, in our culture, when we hear the word submission, what do we start to think of? There's all things conjured up in our mind. We start thinking of, well, you know, that church down there, Calvary Baptist, you know, they're just a bunch of Neanderthals. I mean, you know, their wives submit to their husbands. And we, we think of a, you know, husband walking around with some billy club and, hang, you know, grabbing his wife by the hair and dragging her behind. That's not the idea of submission. The idea of submitting here is placing oneself under the authority as under the Lord but there's something special that is given about this particular word in subjection. It's quite interesting that every time you walk through the New Testament and you see how one is to be submissive to the other, there is not a mutual submission. You know what I hear today? Ah, preacher, all right, I'll submit, but he better submit to me. We kind of talk about, well, you know, this is, there's, there's a 50-50 right in here, and, and uh, there, he's got to submit to me, and, and if he does that, then I'll, I'll, I'll submit to him. Do you realize that's not the word in subjection to? There's not this mutual submission. Let me give you some examples for just a moment. I want you to think about this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible says Jesus was subject unto his parents. In Romans chapter 13, citizens are to be subject under the higher powers. Now, are we to think in Romans chapter 13, well, that government, they ought to submit to me. No, you don't find that in the Bible. We as citizens are to submit ourselves unto the higher power. The Bible tells us that the church is subject unto Christ. 
James chapter 4, verse number 7, believers are to submit themselves. These are the same words that is used in subjection to you. Believers are to submit themselves unto God. Now, am I to think to myself, oh, God, you need to submit to me and just kind of let me have the rule of the roost for once in a while? No, no. Placing myself under. And then here in this passage, wives are to be subject to their own husbands. Now, what's the beauty that God sees here? Look at verse number four. Notice what is great price to God, what, what he sees. Where does our culture, how does it look at women today and prize them? Now, in a very sinful way, Women are prized as such a thing of beauty, whether it be in dirty magazines or movies or various things, and they're looked at that way. To mankind, that's the great price. Or in just a very simple way, we look at the beauty in, in the earrings and the way hair is done and the way clothing is done, and that's how we prize women. But I want to tell you, God doesn't prize women that way. There's nothing wrong doing up your hair. As the administrator of my Christian school used to say, if the barn needs painting, ladies, paint the barn, you know. I I said I didn't say it, is what I heard him say years ago. But truthfully, makeup and hair and, and all sorts of things. But I want to tell you, think about how our world prizes women. They raise it up as in the outward beauty. And God's not saying you can't have any of that. But what's of greater price to him? It's the inward beauty. It's that submissive spirit. And again, I don't have time to unpack this, but it's not the fear of the husband or the fear of the world and society and how they set things out. It is the fear of God and submitting myself unto him and doing so as unto my husband. But now husbands, look at verse number seven. Ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor. Notice these two things. First of all, husbands, you're to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Living with a woman is something that a husband ought to learn to do. And you say to yourself, I've been married a long time. I'm still learning. Well, that's all right. But keep learning. What is this learning all about? Here's what it is. You live together in close proximity, and so it takes skill. It takes wisdom concerning God's design. And God says, not only dwell with them according to knowledge, but giving honor. Now, husbands, do me a favor. Raise your hand for just a moment. Husbands, God bless you. I want you to listen up to this. Don't take your wife for granted. Don't make your wife feel unappreciated. Do not make your wife feel worthless. She ought to be placed on a pedestal in your world, as it were. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies. I'm saddened to hear of men who treat their wives with very little respect. I hear 
husbands who call their wives dirty names. I hear their husbands calling their wives uh, certain things and adjectives and all, saying all sorts of things. That ought not to be. God gave Eve out of Adam. And every time Adam looked at Eve, he realized, she came from me. And I need to respect her and love her and protect her. And husbands, that's what your wives is given for. Three reasons that you ought to honor her. Look at the, verse number 7. She's a weaker vessel. This is a reminder of the feminine nature. doesn't mean that she's, not more, that she's less valuable. But I believe that this is talking about she's more vulnerable. Notice here, not only here is she of the weaker vessel, but she is together with you, the heir of the grace of life. Can I say, she may be the weaker vessel on earth in the marriage relationship, but in the spiritual life and the destiny that you both have together, you share that together. All of the spiritual blessings of the Christian life, you as a husband don't say, well, I got more than she has. No, you share that together. But I love this one. Man, if you don't treat your wife well, look at the last part of verse number 7. Your prayers will be hindered. How many men's prayer lives are non-existent because of how they treat their wives? Well, it's a good question to ask. Now, I don't have time to go to Ephesians, but you can look at Ephesians. And again, there is this idea of the New Testament speaking about the roles. We looked at 1 Peter, Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit yourselves as un, unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Ladies, how are you to do it? Is there, a, is there a blanket thing of my submission? Look, there are some things that, that I think the Bible gives us principles that we're careful of. But when you submit yourself to your husband, you're doing as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. How are you to love your wife? Even as Christ also loved the church. Now, he set the bar high. Love your wife as you love yourself. Read and study that later. But I want to look at the second aspect of equal but different, and that is equal but different roles within the church. Within the church. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I will close with this passage again. I, I will not take us any further. I, I could keep you to midnight tonight, but I, you'll be walking out. So we'll just look at this one passage and be done here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now I want to tell you, Paul and Peter kind of gave similar things. Worded it differently, but here it is. Now, verse number 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety." Now, I would think that what Ephesians 5 is, and we didn't look at that one, but what Ephesians 5 is to marriage, this passage is to the local church family. 
because it defines the roles within the church. And it's not surprising that if you read and you see people in the general Christian world talking about 1 Timothy chapter 2, they attack 1 Timothy chapter 2 like many attack Genesis chapter 2. And how amazing that these chapters are under intense scrutiny and under great attack. But what does 1 Timothy chapter 2 talk about? Well, notice the learning that the woman is to take in the church. A woman is to learn the Word of God like any other person would, like a man would. She's to learn the Word of God, but there are two descriptive words that are used here in verse 11. Let the woman learn, notice, in silence. This has a reference to quietness. But she's also to learn with all subjection. That is, a woman is to submit to the church family in a way that she submits within her marriage. Now, she's not to take the role of teaching over men like men are to, but she is to support, encourage, and actively help the men in their leadership roles. But now notice the teaching that is done here, verse number 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Now some have often said, well, I think women ought to teach. I've heard some women teach and they're good teachers. And I'll be honest with you, because of our plethora of internet things that we have out there, I've seen women teachers and I thought, boy, that's a pretty good point. I mean, I've heard, and I've heard the way that they have brought things out, and sometimes we can argue just from a fleshly standpoint and say, they seem like a better teacher than some of the men I've sat under. But God's not setting up teachers based on popularity. God's not setting up teachers based on who can necessarily do it better than the other one. I want you to notice here, verse number 12 is parallel to verse number 11. You see, teaching here, this is not a prohibition from women teaching altogether. I believe that women can teach other women. I believe women can teach uh, children. But when it comes to teaching a mixed audience, what is this verse driving at? What is teaching all about? Teaching is not just a matter of passing on information. You know what teaching is inherent? Inherent within the word of teaching, it includes exercising authority. In the spiritual realm, it is exercising authority over those who are taught. So that means a teacher, there's an authoritative role. That's why I'm very careful when it comes to teachers. I'm very careful in regards to that. And so therefore you look through this passage and women are not to lead or govern the church. And he gives the biblical reasons. Again, remember the order? Adam was created first. And then he says, Adam was not deceived, but Eve. And you say, boy, Paul's just giving a bad rap on Eve. I mean, he's kind of picking her out that she got deceived. Well, I want to tell you something. When you look at God talking to Adam and Eve and the serpent and everything that's going on, Eve made the admission, I was deceived. You look at it in the book of Genesis. Eve admitted to it. Now again, I could have you, I'll, I'll give you these passages. I, I encourage you to study these out later. First Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 to 40. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, again, I won't go to these passages, but I'm going to conclude with these two statements here. The landing gear of my plane is down. I see the runway. The lights are on. I'm coming in. Here's two things I give to you. Number one, we must take our lead from the Scriptures and not society. This is true. It doesn't matter what subject we're talking about, but especially this one. Now, I'll be honest with you. Possibly what I've shared tonight, some of you are here, and it sent shivers up and down your spine. And I get it. Because we are bombarded on a regular basis by all of this outward philosophy. And my friend, you would be do well to come to the Word of God and put blinders on, if you were, if you will. And look at the Word of God and don't try to take what society says and force it in the Bible. Take the Bible, what God is telling us, and take that at face value. Number two, and I'm going to hit on this a little bit more in the next message we must teach our youth the distinction of the sexes. I ought to get a bigger amen than this. Our kids, there is such a blurring of the lines. I'm talking about in dress. I'm talking about in action. I'm talking about in all sorts of things. Now, I'm not here talking about the various ways that we think of men and women doing things. And sometimes there are different things in different cultures. I get that. I'm not talking about how we live out 2023. But I'm just talking in general. Our boys, and I am, in fact, I've given a book, one of the books that I read for these messages here, I've given to our pastoral staff and their wives. And they're going to be reading them, and we're going to be meeting soon here and talking about these things, and especially when it comes to Brother Ethan and Brother Johnny and how we help our children. We may only have our children a couple hours a week, but we would do well to share the full counsel of the Word of God. I'm not sitting here talking about men beating their chests and, you know, women. You know, I'm, not, I'm not talking about all the, the way that the world looks at things. But let's teach our boys to be men and help take the leadership role. Too many men today are timid and falling behind and acting feminine. And too many girls are being taught to jump into the leadership roles When I'm telling you, whether it's within marriage or whether it's within the church, if we fulfill the roles that God established at creation, there'd be peace and harmony. And there wouldn't be the frustration. There wouldn't be the confusion, the disharmony. There'd be beauty. I'll be honest with you, I... I pray a lot for these messages. I, I, pr- I have prayed more for this message and the next one to come than I have any other. And I don't, f- I don't know if I've done a service to help in any way. I hope that I have. But if you have questions at all, 
I want to talk to you. I I, want to hear from you. Because ultimately now, I've had my opportunity to preach from this pulpit, but I want to hear how you're dealing with things. And what you're going through is you're raising your kids and teenagers and you're dealing with grandchildren. And boy, I'm hearing now as I'm getting ready, I'm hearing things from people of, well, this is happening in our family. This is happening in our family. And there's such division and such a distortion of what God has established. If we come back to the beginning, how beautiful things will be. And you may say, well, things are a little messed up in our household. Things are, are, are not quite right. Well, start getting on the road to getting things right. It might take a while, but start getting on that road to get things right. And may we be encouraged as we move forward that God would help us.